Thursday Finance on 2NURFM. What's happening at the moment? Has the market made a bit of a recovery, Stephen Pritchard? It's made a bit of a recovery over the last couple of days compared to last week, but you know whether, whether the downside's finished or not, um, who would know? Mm. Time will tell. So has it bounced up a little bit? Uh, it's bounced up a little bit. I mean, we're, we're up 200 points on the same time we were last week. Okay. But we're, we're, we're still down, um, oh, I don't know, 400 points from uh, four weeks ago. Okay, so we're up, getting close to the 6,000 again, but not there yet. Uh, we're 5,913 at the close yesterday. Okay, okay. Uh, Fingers crossed. <laughs> Well, it really doesn't mean anything, to be honest. The index really doesn't mean anything unless you're investing in an index fund or your portfolio replicates the index. Yes. Okay, yes. And hopefully, bear in mind, the index is made up of 50% of the stocks overperform the index and 50% underperform the index. And hopefully, you're in the 50% that overperform. Yes. I hope you are too. I hope you are. Okay. So the gold price was $11.17 an ounce down on the week to $1,731. The nickel price was down $742 a tonne to um, $16,451 a tonne. And the crude oil price was down $1.46 Australian to $105.38 a barrel. Yeah, so the currency is the currency is a bit of a mixed bag. We're, we're down against the US dollar to seventy point seven seven, which is only really marginally, and we're up marginally against the Great British Pound to fifty five point four one pence, and against the euro we were um, marginally up to sixty four point five four. Euro cents compared to sixty two point two three euro cents. So really, there's no there's no major changes there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when when Britain finally moves to exit the euro. Where where what happens with the pound and the and the euro? It will. Yeah, yes. that's supposed to be March next year, isn't it? Yeah, I think the European Commission's playing hardball or something. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see the pound go up and the euro go down. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Tell. Mm. And uh, the old ordinary market, the uh, equity market around the world, there's plenty of black there this week, or well, some black, no, better than no, but no red. Um, the um, all ordinary was five thousand nine hundred thirteen, which was up one hundred fifty three points on, on on last week's close. Um, the S and P five hundred was uh, two thousand seven hundred eleven, which is up six point two points, and the UK index was seven thousand one hundred twenty eight, which is up one hundred twenty four four points so um you know marginally head on your portfolios if they if they track the um if they track the the index and you haven't got a large holding of amp mm. which, what about local stocks are we up to some some local mm. interested no um, yeah bhp dollar 41 uh, sorry up a dollar 41 we'll Won't give people heart attacks there. To thirty-two dollars and twenty-one cents. So that's 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 up about five percent of the week. Um, uh, CBA uh, was up three dollars ninety-six, which is sixty-nine point two three cents. Now that's up. um, That's the first time in quite a few weeks that the CBA has actually gone up. Uh, NIB was up uh, thirty-seven cents to five dollars fifty-four, and even Telstra was up three cents to three dollars and eight. So so plenty of. uh, Better news around the equity markets there, and the the fuel price was um, 
$1.57.6 in Newcastle, which which was up 2.9 cents, and in Sydney it's $1.58.7, which was down 3 cents. And the diesel price in Newcastle was pretty similar to last week, $1.64.6, and in Sydney $1.62.5, so mm, pretty much so the, the mm. same. But okay. the, the petrol prices seem to be drifting up. Yes, oh, well, I suppose that's a, a normal trend, isn't it? And it's time for our market update, Stephen Pritchard, with Henry Jennings from the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Henry, how are you? Stephen, I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, you sound it today. You sound it. Must be making plenty of money on the recovery of the market. I don't know about that. But well, at least we've, we've um, sort of survived October. Yes, and we've survived corporate travel management. Yes, I was actually saying to one of my colleagues um, that Morgans have had they're one of the brokers in Queensland yes. they've had a, a litany of uh, suboptimal outcomes they were um, they were blue sky fans yes. um, they, they've been um, uh, corporate travel fans as well yes. and uh, we mustn't forget Murray River Organic oh was that them too was it yeah that was and um, and Wagner's today came out with a, a bit of a disappointing AGM, and they're down ten and a half percent. So um, not having a particularly good run, but I guess that happens sometimes, from time to time. We mustn't gloat because it could happen to the best of us. Uh, yes. What was that lovely expression you just used? Suboptimal outcomes was yes. suboptimal. Yes. yes. Oh, very uh, nice. That's always a good euphemism. We used to use that a lot. Macquarie, if you'd lost money, it was a suboptimal outcome. Oh, that's a politically correct way of saying you've lost <laughs> it's money. It's a politically correct way of saying it, even in the 90s, that yes. you had lost money. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so corporate travel management appears to have lost some um, offices, and amongst other things. Um, yeah, this, this is um, an attack, I guess, and that's probably the best word for it, from a, uh, a hedge fund called VGI Investments, which famously attacked um, Slater and Gordon. Um, and there have been a number of these sorts of big reports put out on some of the Australian companies, and the most recent one, I guess, was Blue Sky. We just talked about that, um, where a, um, a hedge fund, in this case it was uh, a, a fund called Glaucus, put out a massive report on uh, the shortcomings of Blue Sky's model, and these VGI people put out a 176-page, so these guys are, are pretty in-depth, uh, report on corporate travel highlighting some of the changes they've made to their accounting policies in terms of revenue recognition and also some of the uh, the global footprint that they trumpeted in some of their brochures um, amounted to you know um, a, a box in a petrol station in Alaska and sort of thing so um, it was an interesting uh, report and it was a very serious market reaction to the report um, the company came out and I've got to say I thought they batted it with a pretty straight bat and pretty well um, but the shares were down 27% yesterday, which is a big fall from grace, and they're about 6% today. And it, it's funny, we were talking in the office the other day about um, some, of the, um, some of these high flyers. They've been you know, like fighters flying around in the, in the sun, and, and every now and then they get shot down one by one. And we've had corporate travel shot down. We've had uh, you know, Flight Centre have had some issues, dominoes over the years. Um, a lot of these former you know, glory boy high flyers have had some serious um, issues, I guess, in the last few um, in the last few months. Uh, even things like afterpay as well. I mean, we've had lots of lots of press on that one. So interesting, interesting yeah. section at the moment. Those high PE, high flying stocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing that, that, that's got some further problems now is AMP with the sale of their life business. Yeah. Um, well, this, this is—I guess this is one of the, the problems with this whole Hain 
Royal Commission and Inquiry is that there, there is now a rush to the exits of these big institutions of their various businesses, and AMP are shedding their life business, which some fund managers are pretty disappointed about. Um, the market has actually given a big thumbs up and a cheer to this. Um, the problem is they're kind of selling some of the best bits of the business with the growth, um, so they're getting cash now. So in theory, shareholders could benefit from that cash. Um, CBA has sold um, its uh, first, uh, well, colonial first state uh, wealth management business as well, funds management business. Um, so a lot of these guys are rushing for the exit, and they're calling it simplifying their structures, mm-hmm. shrinking to greatness. I don't know quite how you do that. I'd like my waistline to do the same. Um, <laughs> but... Um, AMP uh, miraculously has has had a really good run, and um, in the last two days at least, um, it's up. It hit two thirty odd the other day, and it's now two sixty eight. So it's run about uh, oh, quite a lot actually. Um, run you know thirty odd cents from the bottom. Um, yeah, but the jury, I guess, is out um, as you know what happens long term. They've also got the big question: is all this restructuring is happening um, without a CEO? Um, I don't think Francesco de Ferrari um, starts for a little while yet, and by the time he gets there, there won't be much left to um, to be CEO of the way that uh, David Murray's going. So, um, interesting times at AMP, um, but certainly the shareholders at the moment or investors are cheering the fact there may be potentially some sort of uh, cash management with the proceeds from this um, this life business. But I think it's got a long way to go yet. Well, I hope it's a better cash management than. Buying another national mutual or GIR. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, the, the record of Australian companies making acquisitions is hardly stellar. Um, you know, we've seen today the um, announcement from BHP that they're going to be paying back shareholders $14 billion in goodies um, in, in the form of a buyback and uh, a special dividend. This is uh, after they sold their U.S. shale business. Everyone's going, hey, it's fantastic, they sold the U.S. shale business. But they forget that they paid an awful lot more for the U.S. shale business when they bought it. Yes. So, again, it's another great example of um, stuffing it up or buying at the top. Um, but, yeah, anyway. So they only got about half what they paid for that thing. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. I think they paid $20 billion U.S. Yeah. They probably haven't sold all the $20 billion worth of assets. But, um, you know, the, uh, the money they've got, Ten billion or whatever it is um, is not going to cover all of that money. So, yeah, it's it's not not great. And the ANZ came out and announced a profit result yesterday, which was the the worst full year result in eight years, apparently. Um, yeah, well, ANZ so far have reported, and NABS reported this morning, um, and we've certainly seen the end of the golden era of banking. I think I think we all knew that <clears throat> anyway, um, after the Royal Commission. And uh, it's, it's certainly had a devastating effect on the banks um, in terms of remediation costs, legal costs and everything else, and this shrinking to simplicity and greatness uh, that we talked about earlier. But I guess what does shine through is that underneath it all, you know, without the optics and the media and the PR disasters and the, and the horrible tragedy tragedy of some of these stories, these are still massive money-making machines. Um, And, you know, although there's been a a blip in the road, uh, Australian banking is still in a pretty good shape. And, of course, they do pay these massively uh, generous dividends to shareholders. Uh, ANZ uh, kept the the, um, dividend the same, and NABs have done exactly the same today as well. NABs were seen as probably the most vulnerable going forward, but certainly the sector has been much maligned, bashed, 
um, criticised, etc., and probably deservedly so. But you have to be careful that we don't um, sort of walk into a, um, a credit squeeze come crisis on the back of that. Um, and uh, it certainly looks like the banks have taken everything on, on board and uh, will sort of get their houses in order, hopefully. But um, it does show the underlying strength of the businesses, I guess. Well, well, the other thing that I kind of think about shows the underlying strength. You've just got to remember back to the 1990s when, when, when Westpac was on its knees and had to do an emergency yeah. capital raising at $2.50. $2.50, they got bailed out by, ironically, AMP. Yes, yes. And yeah. Gary Packer. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and, and, and now, it's a, in that short space of time, it's gone for something that was on its knees to becoming, been much longer, the largest bank in Australia, I'd suspect. I know, I know. It's um, it's it's pretty good, really, isn't it? What I um, I remember recommending clients back in, I think it was, uh, I think it was the depths of uh, 2011, sort of 2012. Mm-hmm. You could buy all four banks for um, for 100 bucks. Yep. It was the 100 buck chuck, and you could buy all four for for that price, and uh, it was, you know, it was, it was a pretty good deal. Um, you know, we had a, a CBA at forty-five bucks back in two thousand and eleven, and the other, the other three mm-hmm. at sort of um, under twenty. Um, and that 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 hundred buck chuck at the peak, which was a few years ago, um, back in uh, two thousand and fifteen, I think it was April two thousand and fifteen, was trading at two hundred and seventeen dollars. And that didn't take into account any of the dividends along the way. I was just adding up the four share prices. Mm. It's now got back to 146 ish dollars. Mm. Um, so it's had a big fall from the peak, but it still had a big rise. And that doesn't take into account the 7% kind of. Yeah, so you, you, you know, anyone who's held them for a while has done quite well. It's just that people have rushed in in the last couple of years well, to, to get the dividends and didn't appreciate what they were buying. We, we do that, don't we? That, that's, the, that's the problem. People mm. tend to get all enthusiastic at the top and they get all panicky at the bottom. And, of course, the way to, uh, to play that is, is completely the opposite. Mm. Um, you know, mm. even, even last week when the world was coming to an end, it never felt like a GFC event. It felt like a, a seismic shift in asset allocation um, from bonds and equities and just big guys uh, moving a lot of big money around all at the same time. Um, I mean, that seems to have dissipated for the time being, at least. Mm. Mm. Although we'll see. Time will tell. And then uh, Paul Adwire is in the firing line again. Health, the first tab, and now HealthScope. Yeah, well, as, as um, listeners will be aware, I, I live um, on the northern beaches, and uh, HealthScope has just opened its super-duper hospital, um, closed two. Manly and Monavale have closed, and HealthScope's opened its new northern beaches mega medical centre or hospital yes. um, I have to say so far the, um, the feedback I've seen on some of the Facebook stuff that I get has been pretty um, yeah, pretty damning about uh, how they've handled the opening and sort of horror stories um, they've got a lot riding on this one uh, the company at the moment is under siege from, uh, from private equity with a $2.36 bid on the table stock's currently trading at 208 um, the question is, will the company actually engage with the private equity players um, and talk to them and allow them due diligence, which you would think is in the best interest of shareholders? Or will they say, nah, go away, um, we've got a new hospital and we're going to plug off the property side, um, which is their current plan, um, and work through it? But Paula Dwyer, who's the, uh, the chairperson, um, they have had a, the first strike against the board. 
um, and um, shareholders are not particularly happy that they knock back um, the bid first off, and they've come back with another bid, same price, a uh, few less conditions, and um, it remains to see whether they do engage and whether they can satisfy all the conditions, and the bid goes through. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, under two bucks, mm-hmm. it's, it's looking more interesting, I guess. Aren't they, getting a big, aren't they getting a big check off Gladys soon? They get a big check off. Well, they get, it's, a, it's a private-public hospital partnership. Mm-hmm. So what it means is that those people in the private sector that want to pay for their private health and get the hospital cover, um, they're on the top floor overlooking the ocean. They can see the sea. Oh, nice. The rest, the, which is nice. And um, the rest of us go into, if you want to go into the public section, don't get quite so well treated. I also understand that some of the health funds um, systems don't work at the new hospital. They're having trouble staffing the joint. Um, and there's a lot of, um, it's very swanky apparently, but, you know, it's yeah. still, at the end of the day, it's still a hospital. And, and hospitals need people to, to run it. And they need systems, and yeah, we'll see how it goes. But certainly, a lot of um, anti French Forest Hospital here on the northern beaches because it is such a long way away from uh, a vast number of people, and it now encompasses a much bigger catchment area, uh, which puts a lot more pressure on the, the system. Yeah, I mean, still, you know, those large projects take a while to run up. I mean, yeah, you can't. I mean, it's been open two days. Yeah, well, you're going to so you're going to have problems two days. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be problematic, but the big issue is that the catchment area is vastly increased because it takes in now a lot, a lot more area, um, and it really is no, you know, they've closed two hospitals and opened one, but it's it's kind of replacing two with one and increasing the size of the of the, of the pie. So. Oh, it sounds yeah. like they did up here with John Hanna. Yeah, yeah. Closed two. How did that work out? Uh, that was done in '89, and we're still suffering from it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's hard though. It's a hard balancing act for governments because it costs more and more. And um, yeah, yep. I suspect I suspect it will end up pretty much like the toll roads in Sydney. A great business for those people that run it, not so good for those people who use them. And that's because the government shouldn't have sold them to start with. <laughs> well, yeah, the big, uh, big, yeah, especially that the airport thing because that's ridiculous. Are the train to the airport? Yeah, that's so expensive. That's ridiculous, yeah, I know. It's so expensive. It's supposed to be encouraging people onto public transport and getting people to infrastructure. In, to in, the, in the financial review, there was a way you could avoid paying that yesterday. Yeah, I know. They closed that loophole. <laughs> I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. There, there is still a slight way of doing it, but yes. um, they have closed that loophole because you okay. can't now just buy one on the spot yeah. and put four bucks in or whatever the minimum is. Do the do the train travel and uh, Get off and then and just throw the card away. Yeah. Save your save your eighteen dollars for yeah. getting. But I wouldn't have even thought of that. But someone obviously has, or more than one oh, person. There's, there's lots of opal scams in Sydney. There's lots of people that spend a lot of time um, thinking out ways to to uh, cheat the government of two dollars. Oh well, um, you really have to question whether it's worth it. But that 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 uh, airport uh, charge should be lowered. It's, yeah. it's fourteen dollars is ridiculous. Huh? It just, it just causes such a lot of tra- extra traffic yeah. that really doesn't need to be with people going to the airport um, in taxis and private cars and, and that sort of stuff. I guess yeah, the, the example was when you've got a few people. $14 is all right for one person, but once you get yeah. three people, you're, yeah. you're paying multiples. Well, if, uh, if they did away with that charge, I'm sure it would not be good for uh, Sydney Airport. Okay. Those, those wonderful car parking charges. And, uh, yes, yes, and... Uh, and Kagan, Kagan's blaming the, 
their GST for the fall in the sales. I got completely confused. I thought the, the change in the GST would have been a benefit for Kagan sales. Well, not really. The problem is they had to put their prices up by 10%. Not everyone is playing by the same rules. So the overseas guys that in theory have to put their prices up by 10% to account for GST, some of them haven't. So their prices look much cheaper. And then Kogan's, which now look more expensive, and the falling Aussie dollar has hurt them as well. Um, and they seem to be having a softer time all around, and it's, it's just hit the, um, hit the skids. It's another one of those fallen uh, fighters. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Out uh, of the sky from ten bucks <coughs> to um, three bucks. And the board were selling some of their shares on the way down, weren't they? Not a great look, is it? No. And Not for insiders selling their shares. Uh, well, they didn't know this was occurring. And and Caltex has uh, flagged a dividend increase. Yeah, I'm, I'm still struggling to get my head around the whole Caltex thing. But yes, they 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 seem to be becoming more generous with um, with shareholders. But the, you know, the, the stock's still kind of languishing a bit despite higher oil prices. Um, you know, we've even got Scott Morrison now talking about um, ways to 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 curb fuel prices. Well, mate, take some of the tax off then. Oh, the tax, the tax is more than half. Yeah, I know, I know. It's and then when the fuel price goes up, the excise goes up, and the GST goes up. Yeah, yeah, it's, all, it's, all, it's a great game. So, yeah. you know, it's uh, ScoMo's you know, trying to be the friend of everybody and trying to get prices down for everything. But, you know, the, the, the free market doesn't work that way. You can't just impose the free market on uh, or, or regulations on a free market because the oil price has gone up and petrol prices go up. Um, you know, it's going to leave holes in budgets and things anyway. Yeah. I can never really understand Caltex. I just know that it costs me a lot of money to fill the car up. Uh, yeah. Which Do you get any frequent fly points at Caltex? No, uh, no. I don't uh, actually. I should, I should do because I get them on my, my, uh, my Amex. Okay. They then charge you 2.5% of some of the garages to use, which is oh. always great. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Another story. Okay. Thanks for that, Henry. We'll talk to Thanks, you next week. Seven. Cheers. Bye. Henry Jennings, and he's from the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Our market update is Thursday Finance. Mandy Barton seems to have gone missing in action at this stage. So yes, we'll, we'll catch up with probably, her as we'll, soon as we'll, we We'll catch up can. with her or we'll get her back to talk about aged care again if we can't get her back oh, it's today. It's such an important subject too. But uh, in the meantime, we have had a bit of a fall in yeah, the stock Yeah, we've had market. a bit of a fall in the stock market over the last couple of weeks, and I thought we could just have a quick talk about... Um, um, what you should do when the, when 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 unfortunately your uh, share market investments are um, worth are on less. The way down. Worth, oh, what was that? Having suboptimal outcomes. Yes. I think we've learnt that new term. Um, yeah. I mean, the first thing you need to do is 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 not to panic. I mean, basically, if you look what's happened now, a lot of the a lot of the the, the shares that fell apart from. Um, you know, ones that have got obvious problems, um, like uh, AMP and um, the banks and 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 corporate travel management and things like that. Um, the, the, a lot of the stocks are, are actually starting to recovery. And and you know, in, in those days last week, we had a couple of clients who were putting buy orders on and hoping to pick things up as a bit of a bargain. And and unfortunately, uh, either fortunately or fortunately, um, whichever way you look at it, they never got to the prices they wanted to buy them at. And um, and one example was Link. They wanted to buy some Link uh, market services around the seven dollars, and it's now back up to seven fifty. So they never got those shares. So the first thing you need to think about is um, is is not to panic about this. If you've got an investment in a in a in a share, and you need to look at what the underlying business is, you need to understand the underlying business. But if you've got 
an investment in a share that's got a good underlying business, the shares will invariably come back. I mean, people, just because the price of the foot share falls, people are not going to go stop going into Woolworths and buying their avocados and tomatoes or whatever. Yeah, we've all got to eat, haven't we've we? We've all got to eat. And, you know, the share registry business of Link's still going to go on. So you need to look You need to look at um, what you're invested in and what you're... Um, what kind what your, of... Yeah, what, what your original outcome is. And, and one of the reasons when we're doing some portfolio construction, we, we always say to, and, and this is, can be very difficult with clients at times, you, you don't want to be fully invested. You always need a bit of a cash buffer when you've when you're, when you're, um, got some equity portfolios because you've got um, rights issues coming up, you've got, bonus, uh, you've got uh, share purchase plans, and you've got buying opportunities like you had in the last week. So if you're fully invested, you've got no spare cash to take up these opportunities as they come along. Mm-hmm. So when you're planning your portfolio, you need to you need to take into account that that um, there's opportunities that come along, and you need some money to take advantage of those. Mm-hmm. And that's also another reason why and I know, I know there's some people like these margin lending facilities, um, and, and quite often the margin facilities will lend you up to um, up to seventy seventy percent seventy five percent of a value of a share. Um, and now the, the problem about margin lending facilities is that, that once the value drops below the seventy or seventy five percent whatever margin is, they start sending out these notices and want you to top up the money. Now, it's not like a home loan. I mean, the the margin facilities are valued every day. And then if you drop below the margin facility, they'll send you out out a a notice saying, we want some money. You usually get 24 hours. And if you don't pay up within 24 hours, they'll just sell your stock out. Mm, Yes, so they are really definitely tied to the market. Definitely tied. And and basically, there's nothing. That's the agreement. Um, so, So to protect yourself from that, you once again, you need to have some cash on hand or make sure you're not borrowing your 70%. Yeah, you know, keep it back. You so know, it's better to have it a bit lower than 30 margin. to 50, maybe mm-hmm. 50%, maybe. I wouldn't go much over 50. Mm-hmm. So these are the type of things you need to think about. The markets don't always go up, they go down mm-hmm. as well as up. You need to concentrate on what can go wrong and what's the worst possible thing that can go wrong and try and put in place a strategy to, to avoid. Um, you being exposed. Now, one of the worst things that can happen um, to a retiree is they retire this week and then there's this big, they've put all their money into a high growth portfolio or, 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 you know, all their money into equities portfolio and there's this big downturn next week. So, so what we do or what we recommend is that uh, if, if you're going to, if you're going to um, retire, you always want to make sure you've got a rolling two to three years of cash in your, in your super or investments to pay your pension out so you're not caught in this position that you have to sell some of these investments at the worst possible time. Mm, yes. So I suppose it also depends your, your thinking process on whether you've got these stocks and shares for the income that they're producing or for their capital growth, no? Um, yeah, I mean, that's always a common fallacy, really. I mean, people people tend to generally look at stocks for capital growth mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and then they'll look at these other ones for the high yield. There is a reason the stocks are high yield mm-hmm. um, 
and when the average market return on income is around a four percent, if you if you've got a stock at seven percent, the market's saying to you that that seven percent's not going to last, mm-hmm. and you need to take into account. Yes, well, we might be getting seven percent, but how much capital loss are we going to we're going to get there? Mm-hmm. Now, on a long term position, half your return. Mm-hmm. There's lots of academic studies on this. Studies half your return will come from your income. Okay. So if you're building an equity portfolio and your yield on that portfolio is significantly above the market, you need to look at the portfolio and see what type of risks you're taking that's above the market. Okay, so there's a lot to think about, isn't there? Oh, there's lots of people who are buying these bank shares, and we we're, we're trying to talk them out of it. At, mm. you know, yes. 80, CBA got up to 90. All they're looking at is the yield. Yes. And and But, of course, they've now lost their significant capital, and I suspect that the yield's going to be cut at some stage because the earnings have come down. They they can't keep paying the dividends if there's no earnings. So have all the banks been paying high dividends? Yeah, all the big well. four. All and, the big four. Okay. And yeah, they've been paying out 70%, 80% of their earnings. So so if you're paying out 70%, 80% of your earnings and your earnings fall, yeah. um, there's there's not much you can do except cut your dividends. I mean, you need to regularly review it. And, and opportunities, you know, you need to review it you know, regularly throughout the year. And when you've got major market events, there's also a, a trigger to review the portfolio as well. Okay. All righty. And that's Thursday Finance for today. Thanks for your company. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thank you, Jane. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.